0: Get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. Uh, we are in our third week of our series going through the Bible this entire year, so we've got a ways to go. Uh, but we're starting with pretty much the primary focuses of the Bible. And I've encouraged you uh, to join us in several of the Bible reading programs we have available for you. Of course, we have Uh, In the foyer, we have two different Bible reading schedules for you. There is a chronological Bible reading schedule where you can uh, read the entire Bible in its chronological order. And in 365 days, you'll have read every verse of Scripture. And then there's what we're calling the whole story Bible reading plan. Now, this uh, doesn't get you uh, every verse of Scripture, every chapter, not even every book, but it gives you the whole story. And it kind of follows along closely with what we're going to be talking about in our Sunday morning uh, services. So you can get uh, those in the foyer. Then, of course, there's always YouVersion. And if you don't have YouVersion, it's a wonderful Bible app. There are thousands of devotions on YouVersion uh, for every every subject that you could imagine. Uh, How to deal with teenagers. Um, That one's pretty short. It's basically dig a hole, throw them in, fill it up. Uh, but how to deal with anger, how to deal with, with stress and depression. And there's a wonderful uh, things on there. There's, there's videos you can watch, uh, a devotion, and then it read, and then read the scripture. There's devotions you can read. And then of course, uh, read the scripture going along with it. Uh, but what we've got available, the, or what we're doing as a church is there are two different Bible reading plans on UVersion that we're going through as a church. There's the uh, Old Testament in the year. Bible reading plan. You remember last year we did the New Testament in a year, and so you can follow along with the Old Testament in a year, and of course it's through the Bible Project, and there's those videos you can watch and devotions that really help you understand the context of the scripture that you're reading, and then there's the whole Bible story uh, or the whole, the entire Bible. It's also a chronological Bible reading plan on U Version through the Bible Project, and it also gives you those devotions, those explanations. But it's the entire Bible in a year. And I know it can get daunting uh, doing that. And you're like, man, there's no way I can do that. Uh, that's why U Version comes in handy. Uh, you can, you know, watch the videos or click on the day, and you can actually have the Bible read to you. So you can go to your scripture, hit play, and it will read the Bible to you, which helps keep you on track, helps you focus, especially when you get to some of those harder verses of scripture where it's a lot of begatting and you start reading them yourself. And you're like, I don't understand this, and you kind of get bored. It also helps you understand the names because they pronounce the names correctly, which I, in all of my life, have never done. So they pronounce them correctly. It keeps you on track. And so, I encourage you to, to get one of these Bible reading plans. Join us on YouVersion. Do the Old Testament. Do the whole Bible. Do the whole story. Do the cross. Just find some Bible reading plan that you can do that will help you read the Bible every single day. The point of this is not to get you to read the entire Bible in a year, the point of this is to get you in the habit of reading your Bible every day. And I don't care if you read one verse, one chapter, three chapters, 100 chapters a day, just get in the habit of reading your Bible every single day and getting something out of it and learning about God and drawing closer to God. And I know right now where it is, it's January 17th. Some of you started a plan. You were doing great the first week and maybe even a little bit of the second week, but you've, you've kind of fallen behind. You've skipped a few days or you've missed a week. And now you're looking at that and you're like, there's no way I can catch up. With all those days I missed, so don't catch up. Just start where you're supposed to be. Say, what about all those other things I read? You, you read them later. You know, you'll, you'll get. I'll I'll tell you what they mean, but just don't. See, we get discouraged and say, oh, I missed so many days. There's no way I can catch up with this, and it's just, and so we give up completely. So don't try to catch up. Just start where you're supposed to be and keep going. you miss a day, fine. Just read the next day. Don't get bogged down on the, oh, I've got so much to make up. Just try to get in the habit of every day reading your Bible and talking to God. So that's what, we're, that's what the whole point of this beginning to end whole Bible in a year ser, ser, uh, sermon series is about. Is to get us in the Word of God because we are in, and I know every generation has said this, we're in the, the, the last days, I believe. Jesus is coming back soon. Now, soon is relative in the eyes of God. Soon could be tomorrow or 10,000 years, and it's still pretty soon. But let's face it, our world's a mess. It's not going to get better. I know we think it is. The Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. So if you're like, man, 2021 was the year, and you're already 17 days in, you're like, well, maybe next year. Uh, no. No. But the only thing that this world's going to need, the only thing that's going to help this world, the only thing that's going to help us as believers survive this world is the Word of God. you got to have it. we got to give it to the law. So that's the whole point of this is to get us into the Word of God. So this week we're in our our third week of our series, Going Through the Bible. And this morning we're going to look at one of the most important stories in the Bible. We are looking at the fall of the human race. No matter matter who you are, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, everyone knows that there is something wrong in our world. Something's wrong. It's not what it's supposed to be. There's, there's violence. There's division. There's disease. There's poverty. There's racism. There's genocide, murder, rape, and everything else. It shows us. Something's broken. Something's wrong. And it's, it's easy to see the brokenness and the problems in other people. Even as believers, we're very good at looking at the lost world and saying, that's where they're broken. That's their problem. That's what their issues are. Even people in the church, other believers, we can look at other believers and say, hey, that's their problem. That's, what, that's where they're broken. And it's real easy to look at the brokenness of other people and believe that they are the problem. Look, we saw it a couple weeks ago with the uh, storming of the Capitol. Everybody blames everybody else. Democrats, it's Trump supporters. Trump supporters storm the Capitol and try to to have a coup. And then, of course, you've got Trump supporters like, no, it wasn't them. It was Antifa posing as Trump supporters. It's their problem. And everyone points at everyone else and says, they're the problem. They're the problem. I'm going to tell you what the problem is. It's sin. It's us. It's everybody. Everybody's the problem. Because everyone... Is broken. Other people they they see the problems in the world and try to blame it on the breakdown of the family. Well, the family dynamic is broken down so much, so much divorce and single parents and all this other stuff, and the family dynamic is just gone. So that's what's wrong with our world. Other people try to blame organized religion. Religion's the problem because of all the hate that they're spewing and talking about how bad everyone else is. So everyone knows. That something is wrong with our world, but everyone blames someone else. We have to understand and realize, and it, it takes us being brutally honest with ourselves. The problem with our world is our hearts. Even our hearts, even those who were in church on Sunday morning. In the middle of a pandemic, when last week we came here and it was a meat locker and you weren't sure it was going to be warm this morning. You came to church. You're worshiping God. You still have the problem of your heart. Now, we don't look at our shortcomings and see them very easily. We see everyone else's problems. Again, even those, I can look at y'all and I can look at your life and I can tell you what your problem is. I can tell you where where you're, you're, you're having shortcomings and you can do the same to me but we tend not to see our own problems and our own shortcomings and our own brokenness. Andy Stanley says that when looking at our own lives, we call the dumb decisions we make, we call the dumb things we do, we call them mistakes. I made a mistake in my marriage. I made a mistake at my job. You know, we've all seen politicians and celebrities who have been outed for having affairs and they've called it a mistake. How many of y'all remember who John Edwards is? Some of the older folks. He was a vice presidential candidate back in 2004, I believe, anyway. Shortly after he lost, he, he, it, was, it was discovered that he had had a years-long affair on his spouse. And he said on public TV, I made a mistake. Do you think his wife thought it was a mistake? Do you think his children thought it was a mistake? Y'all remember Bill Clinton? How many of you remember Bill Clinton? More people remember Bill Clinton, okay. Remember him and Monica Lewinsky? The whole, what is what the definition of is, is? When he finally admitted the affair, he went on national TV and said, I have sinned. I never thought I'd say this, but I respect Bill Clinton for admitting that he had sinned instead of saying, I just made a mistake. A mistake is something when you, you do when you lock your keys in your car. A mistake is something you do when you leave your coffee on your car and drive down the road and it's spilled. Anybody ever done that? That's a mistake. Having an affair is not a mistake. A mistake is something that happens by accident. Things that we do on purpose, things that we plan to do, things that we do over and over again on a regular basis are not mistakes. There's a better word for it and the Bible calls it sin. It's not a mistake, it's a sin. It's a disease that all of us have and we've been corrupted by it, and the Bible tells us that this disease enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 2, at the end of Genesis 2, the world is perfect. God's finished creating everything. He said it's very good. He saw Adam alone, said it's not good that he's alone, so he created Eve. He said everything's perfect. They lived in Perfect harmony and communion with each other and with God the Father. There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was no cold. It was 72 degrees all the time. It was perfect. There were, yes, there were animals there. There were what we consider predators there. There were lions there. There were Tyrannosaurus Rexes there. But they were all vegan. It It was perfect. Nothing was wrong. Then in Genesis 3 everything changes. In six verses the world goes from absolutely perfect to completely broken and destroyed. Everything begins to unravel. Now we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. We didn't view it like okay God created everything in six days rested on day seven, day eight he made Eve, day nine they sinned. That's kind of how we view it. I don't believe Adam and Eve were in the garden. I don't believe they were only in the garden for a day or two. I don't know how long they were there, but they could have been there for thousands of years for all we know. However long they were there, they were there for for however long they were, and then they sinned. Look at Genesis chapter 3, look at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto, unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now here we have our first problem. God never said that. God never said anything about touching it. I don't know why Eve said, God said we can't even touch it. Maybe, I mean, they could have juggled the fruit and been fine as long as they didn't eat it. We don't know why she said that. Maybe she was ignorant because Adam didn't explain it to her. Maybe Adam told her just to be safe. Adam said, Hey, God said, don't touch that tree. Just to remove any temptation from her. He, he didn't tell her, God said, don't eat he goes, God said, don't even touch it. Don't touch that tree and we'll be fine. Maybe she just resented God's rules. But for whatever reason, she misquotes God. Whatever reason she had, distortion of God's word is always dangerous and always leads to trouble keep reading. Look at verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers try to explain verse 6 there, her husband with her. I've heard some preachers say, well, Adam wasn't with her at the tree. She took the fruit, ate the fruit, then she went and found him, and he saw that she had eaten, and he loved her so much that he knew God was going to condemn her, and he knew that he didn't want her to go alone, so he, out of love for her, ate of the fruit himself to save her. He's a type of Christ. And man, that sounds beautiful, but it's wrong. When you study the Hebrew, the word with her means right there beside her the whole time. While Eve is talking to the serpent, Adam isn't out killing soul, you know, not killing nothing. He's not right out gardening or walking with God or doing his own thing. He is right there beside her listening to this conversation and saying nothing. He knew, what was, he knew what God said. He could have spoke up and said, well, no, Eve, God didn't say don't touch it. God just said don't eat it. And he could have told the serpent, hey, no, God said that if we ate that fruit, we'd die. I'm going to believe God over you. But Adam is right there beside Eve saying nothing. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy that Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. That's not talking bad about Eve. Not bashing women here. The Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Adam was right there the entire time knowing what was happening and allowing it. He knowingly And willingly disobeyed God. Why was he silent? Why didn't he speak up and correct Eve when she misquoted God? Now, we don't know. Maybe he was letting her eat and she ate and didn't drop dead, and he thought, maybe God was lying. Maybe he was testing her. Maybe he was sick of her. Maybe they've been together there a couple million years. He's like, you know what? I got got more ribs. God can make a new one. Go ahead, eat it, die. She ate, didn't die. He's like, oh, well, I guess I'll give it a shot. We don't know why he didn't speak up, but he didn't. He knew what God had said would happen if they disobeyed God, if they disobeyed. But he did anyway. Look at verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So in this story... The story, and we can look at it as the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's the story of the fall of mankind. It's our story. We see four things about our sin. Here's the first thing we see. Number one, we see why we sin. Why we sin. sin is a part of every single one of our lives. How many of y'all are, have conquered sin and you sin no more? I was looking to see who was a liar. We all struggle with sin. And look, and I, we'll get into this. A lot of times we like to justify our sin. Apparently not. I think I, my notes got erased here. We like to justify our sin because our sin is not as bad as other people's sin. And so it's like, well, you know, I may have lied, but I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. Or I may, have, I may have gossiped a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't do anything as bad. You know, I'm not a drug addict or anything like this. I'm not, a pro, I'm, not, I'm not like them, so I'm okay. Here's what we need to understand right off the bat, because you're going to see why we sin. And you can think, well, my sin is not as bad as their sin. According to God, all of our sin is filthy and disgusting and hung him on the cross and breaks fellowship with him. I don't care how big or little you think it is. I don't care if you think your sin, your sin's okay, but other people's sin is worse. Your sin killed Jesus just as much as as Hitler's sin. We don't like to think about that, but it did. Well, I didn't murder a doesn't matter. All of our sin is terrible. So don't think, well, well, my sin's not so bad, but that's okay. No, yeah, it is. Your sin is just as bad as my sin, which is just as bad as everybody's sin. But here's why we sin. Sin is a part of every single one of our lives, and there are reasons we fall to temptation. Here's the first one. We don't believe God. We just don't believe God. We know what God said. We just don't believe Him. We think he's lying. We think he's hiding something. We think he's trying to keep something from us so we don't believe him. The serpent begins his deceit by asking Eve, did God really say that? He starts to sow doubt in her heart. He, he does it to us too. Did, did God really mean that if you look at, a, look at pornography, you're committing adultery? I mean, you're not, you're not really committing adultery. You're not touching anybody. You're not going out and, and, you know, seeing some other woman or seeing some other man. and You're not really cheating. It's not really. Did God really mean that? Yeah, he did. Did God really mean that, you know, when he said thou shalt not lie, he meant don't lie on your taxes. Because, I mean, come on. The government's going to misuse your money anyway. They're going to use it for abortion and drug things and all kinds. They're going to misuse your money. So if you lie on your taxes to get more money back, did God really mean don't lie the government. Yeah, that's really what God meant. You know, that person, they really hurt you. You know, they, they, they did something to you or they hurt you. They offended you. They, they, they spoke bad against you. You know, it's okay to be mad at them. It's okay to be bitter at them. It's okay to be angry at him because when God said, don't be angry or don't be bitter, he didn't really mean it. Yeah, you know what God said? God said, if you are angry with someone, I know, like, you know, we like to misquote God said, if you're angry without a cause. No, 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 I read it this morning. If you are angry at someone with or without a cause, But you are angry. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get mad. It means you get angry and continue to stay angry and let that anger continue. And you just allow that person, their their anger, to build with them. Someone hurts you. You get angry at them and stay angry at them and refuse to forgive them. God says you've just murdered them. My sin's not that bad. Really getting angry at somebody because they hurt you and not forgiving them is just as bad as murder in God's eyes. Did he really mean that? Yeah, he did. That's exactly what God said. After he sows doubt, he begins to assault the character of God. Did God really say that? Well, the only reason God didn't want you to do that is because he knew that if you ate of that fruit, then you'd be just like him. You'd be a God. He's trying to hold something back from you. That's what he does to us. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. He doesn't want you happy. All God wants to do is control you. That's why he says all those things. Look how he talks God's character in verse 5. He says, God doesn't want you deciding what is best for you. He says, God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. God doesn't want you deciding what's best for yourself. God wants to control you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what it did was it gave man the ability To decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They no longer did God have that right. They were the ones deciding what is good and what is evil. And we are not capable of doing that because our hearts are wicked. And if man has the right to decide what is right and what is wrong, then people are going to do whatever they want to do and say, well, I think this is right, and so you can't tell me otherwise. Look, we can all agree genocide is bad, right? We all agree with that, all right? Killing over 8 million Jews was a sinful thing to do. We understand that, right? Hitler thought it was okay, so did Nazi Germany. Who are we to tell them that what they think is wrong is really wrong? And that's the problem with man deciding what is right and wrong for themselves. Satan tells Eve, you'd make a better God for yourself than God is. No one knows you like you know yourself. You should be able to determine what is best for yourself, not God. Because again, up to this point, God was the only one saying what was good and what was bad, what was right and what was wrong. But now man has that option. Man has the opportunity to say, I know God says it's wrong, but I think it's okay. It may be wrong for someone, but it's okay for me. So I'm going to do what I want to do. Now man takes it upon himself to decide what is good. They decide what is best for them, and it was a terrible trade. They traded fellowship with God for the ability to govern themselves, and it doomed all of us. Next, he tells her, you're not going to die. Here's what, he's, here's what he's saying. Do what you want to do. There's no judgment for it. There's no punishment for it. There's no consequences for your actions. You can do whatever you want to do, and no one's going to punish you anyway. So why do we sin? We don't believe God. Second reason we sin, (coughs) we set up idols. Right after unbelief comes idolatry. and Paul explains this in Romans 12. Romans 12, 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him or give thanks to him as God, they turned the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Glory in that verse means to give weight to something. Adam and Eve and all of us since, we have given more weight to things than we do to God. We have set things up as our idol. What was their thing? They didn't have an idol. Their thing was being their own God, making their own decisions. We all set things up over God. We we think that there are things in this world that we can't live without. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's comfort. Adam and Eve put their own desires over their relationship with God. That was their idol. And whenever we set up an idol, there are three components. We see it in Genesis 3, but we also see it in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see that in Genesis 3. Eve, she saw that the fruit was good to eat, lust of the eyes. She desired it, that it would make her wise, the lust of the flesh. And then she thought it was going to make her better than God, the pride of life. She thought she could be her own God. So how do we, why do we sin? We don't believe God, we set up idols, and thirdly, we rebel against God. Every sin, every disobedience follows this pattern. Unbelief, idolatry, and rebellion. Adam and Eve not believing God, setting themselves up as idols, led them to rebelling against God. In whatever area of your life, you are not believing God 100%. You are setting yourself up to become an idol, or a rebel against God. Here's what I'm talking about. I've been pastoring now, what, nine, ten years? Nine years? Too long. Pastoring nine years. I've met a lot of couples who love God. They want to serve God. They want to honor God. Cause they're coming to church, they're seeking answers, they're getting involved, but they're living together out of marriage. It's not a big deal to them. Well, it's not a big deal in the Bible. God says that thou shalt not it's not good that a man touch a woman. Now, that doesn't mean touch a woman. That word literally means cohabitate. You know what God says? It's not good for a man to live with a woman the son's his wife. It's just not good. God says it's sin. But couples who love God, they say, well, you know what? I believe God in every area but this area. And they can make up all kinds of excuses. Why? Well, we've been together for so long, we're going to get married anyway. Well, we both, you know, we need, we need to find, you know, two, two incomes to live and to keep our standard living. So, you know, it's okay now. And we, we make up all kinds of excuses because it's what we want to do. We don't believe God in this area. Or believers who love God, they want to do right, but they don't want to be faithful to church. I know God says, not forsaken these him and together, but you know what? Sunday's my only day off and I'm tired. Or my kids have activities on Sunday that they got to get to, and so I'll, I'll go when I can, and I believe God and I love God in every area, but this area. They set themselves up as a rebel against God. Or they don't believe God in the area of faithfulness to, to the tithes and offerings. They, they believe, well, you know what? I got, I got to work on Sunday. I got to make money myself and I'm barely making ends meet and I know God says I, I should you know, send the tithe to the church and I know God says what I should do, but I can't afford to. So yeah, I believe God in every area except this one. This one, I know more than God. This one, I'm a rebel against God. If you are not totally surrendered to God right now in any area, that area is your idol, and you are a rebel against God in that area. So that's why we sin. Number two, let's see how we respond to sin. Now, this is not how we are supposed to respond to sin. This is how we actually respond to sin. Look at verse number eight in Genesis three, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walked into the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now again, this is not how we're supposed to respond, but this is how we usually respond when we sin. As soon as they sinned, they felt shame. As soon as they sinned, their eyes were open, they saw themselves as naked. And again, that has nothing to do with clothing. Were they physically naked? Yes. But it has nothing to do with with actual clothing. They saw themselves as vulnerable. And they hid themselves from each other. They make aprons. Remember, before verse chapter 2, end of verse chapter 2, they're naked and unashamed. They are completely at fellowship with each other and God. And they're not ashamed. And they're open. And now they've sinned and they're ashamed. So they're hiding themselves from each other. Then they're hiding themselves from God. They felt exposed. They felt vulnerable. And what do we do when we feel that way? We cover ourselves. We hide We feel insecure. When we sin, we hide from God and we hide from others. But how do we do it? First of all, we do it by lying about our sin. Of course, we lie to others. Did you do this? No, I didn't do it. We try to hide our sin, try to make sure people, but the worst thing we do is we lie to ourselves about our sin. We try to tell ourselves our sin isn't that bad. Again, we look at other people's sin. Then we look at our sin and we say, well, I'm not like them. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I made a mistake. Again, I made a mistake. I messed up. But I'm not like them. So I'm not, my sin's not quite as bad. You know, in the Bible... The Bible says there are sins, but the Bible also says there are things that God calls abominations. The word abomination literally means to make sick. There are things that we can do that, according to Scripture, make God vomit because He's so disgusted with us. And we're real quick to point out abomination to everybody else. I know a lot of people say, you know, Leviticus says homosexuality is an abomination of God, and it makes God vomit. Does the Bible say that? Yeah, it does. The Bible also says a woman shouldn't wear clothes that pertain to a man, and people take that out of context, too, so we've got to be real careful about that. But we're real good. You know, false idols are an abomination, and we're great to point that out to other people. You know what are some other things that God said are abominations? He says justifying your sin is an abomination. Well, I messed up, but here's why. Your justification of why you did what you did makes God sick. Pride, arrogance makes God sick. I'm not as bad as they are. That makes God want to vomit. Refusing to hear the law of God and obey makes God sick. A proud look, even looking like you think you're better than someone else, makes God want to vomit. Lying, even little white lies, makes God vomit. Shedding innocent blood, man—we can get behind that one, can't we? We can get behind the shit, you know, Planned Parenthood and abortion—that is an abomination to God, and we can get behind that one. But how about gossip and sowing discord—is sin too? Well, I'm not killing babies. I'm just. I'm just trying to warn people about so-and-so. I'm just letting people know what's going on with so-and-so. I'm not killing babies. According to God, the Bible, they both make God vomit. So don't look at your sin and say, yeah, I messed up. I made a mistake, but it's not as bad as those. Yeah, it is. Don't lie to yourself and say you're not as sinful as someone else. Well, I didn't kill anybody. Ever get angry with someone and not want to forgive them? You just killed them. Why well, never come adultery, ever look at someone who's not your spouse and have an impure thought about them? God says you did. So don't lie to yourself and say your sin's not that bad. Yes, it is. Your sin is wicked and vile and putrid and disgusting, just like mine. I'm not sitting up here saying y'all are filthy and disgusting. I'm, no, no, no. My sin is disgusting and putrid and makes God want to vomit too. But so does yours. So don't lie to yourself and say, well, it's not quite that bad. So we, how do we justify our sin or how do we react to respond to sin? We lie about it. Number two, by ignoring the consequences of our sin. When we sin, we do so because we refuse to think of the judgment that God's going to send our way. We refuse to face the consequences of our sin. That's what Adam and Eve since did. They knew what God had said. They knew God said, eat the fruit, you're going to die. They chose to ignore that consequence. And look, maybe Adam was worse than Eve because Eve ate and again didn't drop dead right away. So we thought, well, maybe, maybe God's not good. And it's easy to do because, look, we'll sin. And God doesn't immediately send lightning our way. And so we think, oh, oh, got away from it, got away with it. I'm okay. Look, God may not strike you dead with lightning. He probably won't but you do reap what you sow. And look, as believers, we don't suffer the wrath of God for our sin or judgment for our sin, because that was paid for on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God poured the wrath of, of of God for sin and the judgment of God for sin out on Christ completely. And so that's been paid for, but there are consequences for our sin. We do reap what we sow because of our sin, we still lose fellowship. We still lose peace. We still lose the joy of God. How else do we respond to sin? By blaming others for our sin. Look at verse number twelve. Uh, I gotta hurry up, but I really don't want to. So never mind. Look at verse number twelve. And the man said to the woman, and the man said, the woman thou gavest me gave us to be with me. She gave me the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is, it, what is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. They don't take responsibility. You know, Adam's acting like, well, God, I was just, I was just minding my own business. She gave me a, a, a fruit salad, and I ate the fruit salad. I didn't know that the fruit was in there. I didn't know it was, and he's like, It wasn't me. The serpent should have fooled me. Adam should have helped me. What are they doing? They're blaming other people. That's what we do. We blame everyone else for our sin. It's not my fault I look at pornography. My wife doesn't give me the affection I deserve. It's not my fault I lied to my parents. They don't understand what I'm going through anyway, and if I did tell them the truth, then they're going to treat me unfairly. It's not my fault I can't be faithful to church in my time. i got to work on Sunday and got to pay my bills, and i just got to do what i got to do to survive. When we sin... We blame everyone else. We blame everyone except the one who is to blame, which is us. Adam should have said, Lord, I sinned. Eve should have said, God, I sinned. But they did what we all do. They blamed other people. How else do we respond to sin? Finally, we respond to sin by focusing on religion. Instead of our sin. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do? They make coats of fig leaves, aprons of fig leaves to cover themselves. That is the first religious act in the world. I'll make up for my guilt. I'll make up for my sin by doing some religious observance. I'll be good. I'll go to church. I'll donate money. That'll make me right with God for the bad things that I've done. The biggest substitute for relationship with God is religion. It's coming up with a revised version of God. We come up with some form of God we can pay off for what we did wrong to get rid of our guilt. People who are religiously zealous, people who are overly religious, they are usually using religion to cover up the problem with their own heart. Their fervency in religion, it keeps him from dealing with the pride, the insecurity, the hate that is deep down. Third thing we want to see this morning is how sin devastates us. Look at verse number 16. <clears throat> Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And Adam he said, Because thou hast hardened and hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life, and thorns and thistles shalt it bring forth to thee, uh, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, shalt thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, and from dust thou art, and to the dust thou shalt return. There's a lot of consequences we see in these verses that we suffer because of our sin as well. So what is, how does sin devastate us? First of all, it causes pain. He mentions pain in childbirth. Yes. So ladies, again, y'all can blame me for that. He mentions pain in childbirth, but it goes deeper than that. He's talking about life becoming painful, pain of illness, Pain of loss, pain of hurt, pain of bitterness. Sin causes pain, period. Second thing it does, it causes conflict. Again, God talks about the woman's difficulty in relating to her husband, but there's a deeper meaning in this. Remember, before, chapter 2, naked and unashamed, open with each other, fellowship with each other. Chapter 3, they're covering themselves. They're hiding from each other. They're keeping secrets from each other now. Their relationship is, has conflict in it. As soon as they sin, the relationship between Adam and Eve is broken. You know what happens the very next chapter? Cain kills his brother Abel because of jealousy. Sin causes conflict in every relationship we have between spouses between children, between friends, between parents, but worst of all, it causes conflict between us and God. Third thing it brings, it brings emptiness. Because of sin, the world's now cursed. It will work against man. Now, the ground is no longer our friend. Our lives become filled with heartbreak and dissatisfaction and pain. Everything seems pointless and empty. Fourth thing that does devastate us, it ends in death. God tells them, from dust you came, from dust you're going to go back. That's what God warned about. Eat and you die. Now, they didn't drop dead instantly, but death entered the world. And they began the process of physically dying. Paul tells us the same thing. For the wages of sin is death. Now, you can say, well, I'm all going to, yeah, we're all, because of sin, every one of us are going to physically die if Jesus doesn't come back. And as far as I'm concerned, he can come back today. But if he doesn't, we're all going to physically die. But sin also kills your dreams. It kills relationships. It kills your, your fellowship with God. It devastates everything. The final thing, the worst part of sin that it does, how it devastates us we lose our fellowship with God. Look at verse number 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So because of their sin, God, the Bible says, has to drive them out of his presence, And then he puts up warrior angels and flaming swords so they can never come back to God again. They had to wait until Jesus would come and shed his blood for them until they could have fellowship with God. We lose fellowship with God. They are cast out of God's presence with no way back. That is the greatest consequence of all. As children of God, we can't lose our position with God. You will never lose your, 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 fellow, your position with God, your relationship with God, but you can lose your fellowship with God. God says, if we have iniquity in our, you know what iniquity is? Iniquity is justifying your own sin because it ain't as bad as everybody else given a reason, well, this is why I can do what I do, because my boss is an idiot, or my wife's a mean to me, or my husband's a jerk, and so we justify our sin. That iniquity, God says, you have iniquity in your heart, he says, I will not hear you. Doesn't say he cannot, says he will not hear you. You have pride, God says, I'm gonna resist you. Your sin, my sin, causes us to lose fellowship with God the Father. Nothing would ever be complete again for them. Nothing would ever make sense again. They could never t- attain true happiness again. Sin's consequences are unspeakable and unbearable, but we bring them on ourselves. And that brings us to the fourth thing we're going to look at today, and this is what we're going to close with. Number four, how is sin cured? The whole turning point of the Bible is a scene so shocking that the Bible, Peter says the angels look down in bewilderment. Look at verse number nine of chapter three. <laughs> We're going to walk through this real quick. Chapter nine. And the Lord God said unto Adam, called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? So God, he comes looking for Adam. He knows, he knows where Adam is. Here's what we, you know, we talk about this in Growth Group this week. You read Genesis two, and it's like God almost forgot about Eve. It's like he made everything and said, Oh, everything's real good. Oh, it's not good, Adam. Oh, I need to make Adam a helpmate. He knew he was going to make Eve. The reason it's worded like that is for our benefit. Not, he didn't forget. And so he can show us how much we need fellowship and we need companionship and we need people in our lives. And so the way it's worded, God's not walking around going, I wonder where Adam is. He knows where Adam is. He's God. He's looking for Adam, but Adam is hiding from him. They expected God to destroy him. Instead... God comes looking for them out of love. Yeah, he casts them out. Yeah, he curses them. Yeah, he he gives them punishment, but he's not coming looking for them with a belt in his hand ready to destroy stuff. He's looking for them out of love. He finds them and he makes them a promise. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the Savior. Every story in the Bible from this point on points to the promise of God sending someone, sending a savior, a redeemer, to do for us what we could never do, to live a perfect life and die in our place and rise three days later to redeem us to God the Father. Romans 5.14 says it this way. says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's sin, who was a type of him who was to come. Jesus, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. He was a man with no earthly father, but he was a better version of the original. He was tempted like Adam, but unlike Adam, he was tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days. He's weak, he's hungry, he's, he's beat down, and then he's tempted. Adam is tempted in, the, in paradise. Adam is tempted where he has everything he needs, and he's tempted. Unlike Adam, he was tempted three times. Adam was tempted once. Jesus was tempted three times, and he resisted. And also unlike Adam, he resisted every temptation thrown at him. He resisted by doing what Adam failed to do, focusing on what God said and believing God. Adam and Eve disobeyed. They ate from the tree and they died. Jesus, he obeyed God. And he willingly climbed up on a tree and he willingly gave his life and died to bring us life. Genesis 3.21 says this, And Adam also and to his wife that the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. This is a picture of of what Jesus would do on the cross for us. That's the first picture that God was giving where he had to kill an innocent lamb and use its, its skin and it had to shed its blood to cover the righteousness, uh, the sin of Adam and Eve so they could look righteous before God. See, Jesus came, he shed his blood and we accept him as our savior, accept his death, burial and resurrection as payment for our sin. His blood wipes away our sin and God sees us as righteous. He sees us just as he sees Christ. So how is sin cured? By two things, repentance and faith. Repentance means you come out of hiding. You stop blaming others for your sin. It wasn't the woman God gave me. It wasn't the circumstances he put me in. It wasn't my spouse or my boss. It wasn't that I was just hanging around the wrong crowd. I was the one that did wrong because I wanted to. I sinned. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't get in a bad situation. I chose to sin. Repentance is admitting that you are wrong. That you wanted to be God and choose your own version of right and wrong. And faith is believing that when you confess that, God will forgive you and cleanse you. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And look, we've talked about this, that word Confess doesn't mean just saying you did wrong. It's not not even just saying you're sorry. See, confession, we think confession is, you know, like in a, a interrogation room. Did you do this? I did it. Oh, he confessed. Great, we got a confession. No, confession is going to God and saying, God, I did wrong because I wanted to. It was completely against you. You are right. I am wrong, and I believe you. It's confessing, admitting repenting of what you did and asking God to forgive you. And when we do, he is faithful to cleanse us and forgive us. Our sin separates us from God. Repentance and faith bring us back to him. You know, the gospel tells us if we expose our sin, Jesus will cover it. But if we cover our sin, God will expose it. Genesis chapter three is your story. You are more than just a good person who made a few mistakes. You are a dark hearted sinner that chose to rebel against God. And just like Adam and Eve, but even though we choose to, even though we willingly, and admittedly, on our own, rebelled against God. He loved us so much, he comes looking for us. God sent his son to find us, to rescue us. When he died on the cross, it was for you. Now, you're, I know all of us here are professing believers. All of us here, we, we have will, openly and publicly said we've accepted Christ as our Savior. We still sin we still rebel against God. You can think yours isn't as bad as somebody else's, but it is. It's just as devastating to you. So if you've accepted him, he's still looking for you when you sin. We have to confess it, repent of it, and trust him to forgive us and cleanse us. And that's wonderful, but here's the thing. We have to do it all the time. Why? Because you're going to sin all the time. You are never going to be done with confessing and repenting with God until you see Jesus Christ face to face. You wake up in heaven. Guess what? You're not going to sin anymore. But until then, you are. So until then, you better be making a real good habit of confessing, repenting, and getting right with God. Because your sin, it's not that big a deal. Your sin is just as devastating as everyone else's. Stop lying to yourself about it and start living in repentance with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.